The following podcast contains strong language. Hello and welcome back to the Cine Rambles podcast. You're listening to Nick and Andrew. And we're here with your weekly fix of film-related reviews and ramblings. Uh, lots of ramblings. <laughs> lots of ramblings. Uh, spoiled for choice today. Um, so, before we get on with like our main segments, I did want to give a quick shout-out... Um, because we've been discussing some sort of um, Black Lives Matter related stuff recently. Um, like last week we were recommended I'm Not Your Negro. And on a related subject, I've recently discovered Netflix has a BLM collection on their platform as a specific genre. Um, I'll be putting a link to it in the description, but it has a lot of sort of films and TV shows, you know, w- w- tackle these kind of civil rights movements. Um, yeah. Things like LA 92, um, 13th. Um, there's a documentary on Malcolm X in there. Uh, I think Moonlight's in there as well, but there's a lot of good films in there. So if anyone wants to check out some more stuff, that exists. We might look at some of them on uh, Quest for Truth as well. Yeah, LA92 in particular, I really want to have a look at. And and 13th, Yeah, actually. I'm quite keen to look at that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cool. Right. Um, I found out recently, when we did the uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World Fundamental a while back... I found out recently that they had, they were like halfway through production of the film um, when the last book came out, which is why the ending is so, so drastically different. And on the DVD, like on the special features on the DVD um, for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, you can see an alternative ending, which is Edgar Wright's initial ending um, that he wrote before the book came out. And then when the book came out, he rewrote his ending to be more in line with the the book's actual ending. But still improving on the book's ending. Because there's yeah. no girlfriend machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no girlfriend. But also, like, he obviously wanted to stick to, like, the things that he'd set up in the film from the other books, you know, like... Yeah. So there wasn't any fucking random bullshit in there that just came out of nowhere. Like, he... His ending... His alternative ending is still would have made perfect sense, you know. Basically, in his his initial ending, Scott ended up with knives instead of Ramona, and then he changed that so that Scott went with Ramona instead of knives, in which is the same in the book. Right. Which sort of makes more sense that Scott would end up with knives because, I mean, Ramona Flowers is a bit of a fucking nutter, but, you know, yeah. whatever. Wasn't that sort of the point of the film or the series? Like, he sort of... In this pursuit of Ramona and all the difficulties of that, he's he's sort of ignoring knives, who's like yeah. a better fit for him. Yeah, and, was, and at the end of it, it'd be like, oh, actually, yeah. Well, that's because, well, yeah, exactly. Like, so that was the Edgar Wright's initial ending because he he saw it like that, and he mm. sort of, uh, you know, like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then the book came out and he changed it. But there you go. So, do you think Edgar Wright's ending is better then? Like, yeah. Have you, yeah. I've said well both both his alternative ending and the ending he actually went for are both better than the <laughs> book's actual ending. <laughs> so, you know, can't, doesn't change can't lose. <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Let's move on, shall we, Nicholas? Yeah. Okay. Um so you've watched Hamilton this week, haven't you? I did. I've watched yeah. Hamilton. So it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um and it is a recording of a Broadway show from 2016. Yeah, of the hit Lin-Manuel Miranda Miranda, uh, penned show, which which for all these years hasn't had any kind of official recording, but now we have, even though... Yeah, yeah, it was recorded in 2016, but they only released it now, and even that was like a year early or something. Yeah. It's not quite sure what they've been recording for. I think he was um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, because he owns all the rights to it, you know, he owns absolutely everything to do with it. He was in talks with Disney for ages to uh, get a film made. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, during lockdown, they nailed this down and, and released this. Yeah. And I think there's talks about them making an actual film of it instead of just the play recording. Yeah, well, because they've made or they are making um, In the Heights as a film, which is his previous um work i don't know which studio that's with presumably it must be disney i'll give it a quick look but it would make sense to maybe try and do hamilton but i, I mean that would probably be quite a large budget 
production, I feel. Yeah. Which I suppose Disney probably doesn't mind. Yeah, Disney's got the got the cash, haven't they? Yeah. Plus, to be fair, Hamilton has got definitely got the fan base that it would be like a worthwhile investment. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it absolutely would be. Like, there's, it's got the fans, like, no problem. It's got the star power. But also, almost everyone in the the uh, the musical is a you know movie actor already. Yeah. So, or you know, at least a TV actor. You know, they definitely have screen experience. Yeah. So, the thing that's on Disney Plus is it's a recording of the stage show. Yeah. So, which... it's it's very good, right? Hamilton is good. Like, no, there's no doubt about it. It's very, very well written. The acting is amazing. The songs are very good. You know, it is good, and it's from a very interesting part of history, obviously. And being British, I had absolutely fucking no idea who any of the people were <laughs> other than George Washington. <laughs> See, but um, I learned who all these people are through Hamilton. You just got to keep. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I now know who they are because of Hamilton, which is, which is, I suppose, a good thing. Um, the other, the, so the first thing was uh, I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. No, which might because, just be hype. It, yeah, it definitely I, was. I've hype. been telling you to listen to it in some form for the past like four, three, four years. Yeah, so everyone's t- you know told me to listen to it. All my friends that have seen it have been like, "Oh my god, it's amazing! You'll love it. Go and see it." Obviously, I can't go and see it. Um, and getting hold of tickets for it was, you know, impossible for ages, wasn't it? Mm. It was at um, least it was better here than it was certainly in America, but it was still not particularly easy, no. But so so when I watched it, and again, this might be something to do with the, how they record it, which we'll get onto in a minute. And it's just been overhyped massively, um, and everyone else, including you, <laughs> mm. seems to be you know absolutely frothing at the mouth for the fucking songs and everything. And I'm like, the songs are okay, but they're not that good, you know. They're not like. I haven't pissed myself in pure orgasmic bliss just by listening to these songs. I think they're they're pretty good, but not amazing. But then this is getting onto the sort of central nugget of this because you haven't listened to the official Broadway recording. You've, no, which you've just seen the film, and this so the film is like recorded live on stage. But so yeah. the problem the problem with all of this is that sa- the way sound is mixed for stage, for a theatre, for that room, is a lot different to how it's mixed for film. And I think a lot of that impact is then lost. Yeah. Unless, because, well, I mean, I haven't I haven't actually seen the Hamilton tape yet, because I haven't got around to it, and I haven't got a source yet. But I assume it's not overdubbed with the official recording. It's re- it's the recording of the, the stage, as it were. Yeah, I think it's the, sound. the live yeah. recording. Yeah. And I think there's a problem with sort of tapings of sort of live events is that even if you attempt to sort of mix the sound properly, it just won't be a studio recording. It's like if you ever yeah. listen to a live album of of any band, it never it's has... never going to be as good as the the studio one, yeah. Yeah, or even being there in person, because the way it's mixed for that organic environment as opposed to a, like a clean audio track. Yeah. Well, that's the other so, thing. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more had I seen it live, mm. um, because... Also, I think, again, like, I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I was American. <laughs> but Because, you know, Americans are taught revolution history, you know, since they're in, you know, fucking reception, whatever the equivalent is. So there was loads of jokes, like, like obviously revolution-based jokes that just flew straight over my head. And they've got the audience laughing at these jokes. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like what? I don't know. I can't remember them. Well, that's because not helpful. <laughs> yeah, but there's just these fucking jokes like, oh, he did this thing. Ha ha ha. And the audience fucking laugh. And I'm like, who? <laughs> what? <laughs> but obviously, that's that's not their fault. That's my fault for not knowing the history. But I think it's a very... And, and this isn't a, a slight against it because it makes sense, but it's a very, very American-orientated audi- uh, viewer experience, I think. Yeah, but I mean... I've had no problem with like, and I I had no knowledge of sort of American history stuff before, and I I sort of got into it fine. Yeah, like I don't think there's like any prerequisites of like having to. I think there there is there because there's I mean there is definitely like having a knowledge base of that era of the people would have helped, you know. 
I don't think it's that necessary. I mean, like, because for one thing, even though obviously the, it's about the Revolutionary War, it's about Hamilton and Burr and their relationship and sort of, you know, it's more biographical than historical as such, I think. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think it matters if you don't know where the places they're talking. Like, I don't know where Chesapeake Bay is. Who knows where that is? I, you know, I don't know where Yorktown is. I don't, I don't know the battles. <laughs> yeah, but not, not, not that as much as you know the people specifically and knowing what those people did, because obviously, a lot of the uh, the characters are are caricatures of their real people. You know, like Thomas Jefferson obviously wasn't wasn't like that. You know, yeah. the same with with all of these people. Like Lafayette probably wasn't like that. All of these people weren't actually like that and i think having a knowledge of of what they actually were like would have made that you know enhance that experience more but Wait. that's by the by what get let's get on to the actual fucking point we're trying to make here okay i mean i'm, I'm i still disagree with your point but okay we'll go to the main point um so they do a lot of we were talking about this we reckon they did two recordings one with an audience and one without um mm. because they've got a lot of shots in there that just wouldn't be possible with an audience there. So they do these close-ups and they do like, you know, there's obviously a cameraman on the stage following them round and walking with them. Yeah. That they just, they, you know, couldn't couldn't have that with an audience there. And they, they obviously spliced them together very, very well to the point where you can barely tell. However, so the whole point of like theatre experience is that the whole stage is important, isn't it? Because you only yeah. have this one area to to move around and to set it and like that's what separates theatre from film is that you can't you can't edit a theatre performance yeah. you know you can't cut cut to camera B there's only one shot in theatre and it's it's a locked off wide shot yeah exactly and, I, and also like it's not just you know the way a, a thing is blocked or directed but also like the set design as well and the lighting yeah. And, you know, ev- in the same way in the film, every micro element is fine tuned for the, the methods of filmmaking. In the same way, every micro element of theatre is fine tuned for that live setting. Which the problem with taping is it then changes that medium without changing the micro elements enough to really match it. And I think you, you, you lose things because they've got this amazing set and these amazing, like, dancers and they've got all this amazing choreography and you don't get to fucking see them half the time because it's just on a close-up of Hamilton. And you're like... Yeah. You know. And especially when a lot of that kind of show is... Obviously, there are, like, main characters that do stuff, but a lot of the... There's a lot of ensemble background stuff. Like, there's a lot yeah. of, like, you know, synchronised dancing, which doesn't work when you cut in on close-up. You need to see it all in, in one go to get the full sort of... But also, like, it's so flowing and it's so... Well, the point of it is like so rhythmic, isn't it? And it's so like yeah. they are performing as one, not as individuals. To then exactly. cut to an individual sort of ruins that effect. And I, and I think they sort of lose some of the spectacle and some of the magic of it being a the- theatrical performance that there would be there in a theatre. You know, which is part of why you know Cats the the film flopped as so in- intensely as it did. Because of what made Cats the musical good is the spectacle, is the costumes, the people, the dancing, um, and seeing that live. I think this Hamilton thing has a has a similar flaw that it it loses that magic because you're not you're not seeing it the way it was intended to be seen. You know that is a brave comparison of Hamilton <laughs> to Cats. Oh, well, we're, gonna get, we're gonna get correspondence this week, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it stands. <laughs> Fight me. But I mean, I mean Cats isn't like a, a taping the same way, though. So do you think no. when Hamilton gets adapted to like a proper film, um, how do you think that will go? Do you think it will work as a film? I think it will go... I think it will, you know, like... Well, I mean, I haven't seen it, but how... how have you seen Les Mis in theatre? No, I haven't. I have seen the, the film, but not... I've only Maybe. seen, like, brief clips of the theatre show. Because I imagine it will be a similar thing. You know, they've got to have all the songs in it. They've got to have these these things that, you know, in the theatre, they can't obviously have all of the explosions from the, the cannons and the and the war and, you know, all the corpses. And they, they can't have the scale that, that a film yeah. can have. 
and they can't have the, you know, spoilers, when he gets fucking shot on stage, it just sort of, you know, he gets shot and he freezes and some ensemble people go up and grab him and then move him. It's like it, it, on film, they'll just have him on the floor bleeding out, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more of sort of... um. Obviously, theatre's a lot less realism in it. There's a lot more stylization and sort of like physical theatre and stuff going on. Yeah. Which would have, and I think that would change certainly the, the sort of the tone and the atmosphere of it at points. Because you're right, you're like, there's a sort of something quite mystical about the end of it there. But if you did that in a film, he would just sort of, you know, he'd just die and fall over and it yeah. wouldn't have the same impact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think they would lose a lot of him because, again, like, you know, before. They have the countdown, like the the f- fucking finale is that the, you know that. Oh, countdown. the ten jewel commandment, commandment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they have the bit like right before uh, when Burr pulls the trigger. It's like oh, there's a freeze frame, and it's just him, and he's singing. All the music stops, and it's like oh, this is really powerful, you know. Yeah. And like that would be so hard to pull off in film. I don't know. I think it's possible to do it because obviously there have been film adaptations of stage musicals that have done incredibly well. Yeah, you know, I just think they they need to focus on the characters and not try to have the scale. Yeah, see, the thing that I was thinking about was like because you know a lot of the sort of the music in it is sort of essentially the characters nar- not quite narrating what happens as such, but like sort of telling the story orally as opposed to like you know it, there's a, there's a lot of sort of telling. It's tell rather, don't show. Yeah, yeah which works in theatre because again it's a very minimalist stage and they have to explain like you know, we're at war and we're doing all this and this is what's going on. But in film, yeah. so without, like, changing the songs and the lyrics, like, would they just have, like, like a close-up of Hamilton as he walks through these battlefields explaining this battle that we can't see? Like, I I feel like... I'd obviously, yeah. I don't, I think they can do a film version, but I think it's going to be very interesting integrating the songs as they are, which, again, have been made for this very specific medium and are, like, you know take full advantage of its its strengths and weaknesses to, to make it into a film and have it work you'd have to change so much that i feel i think and, and i think linda Miranda i don't think that's beyond his capability no not at all i think he's obviously yeah. incredibly talented I think he, if they just gave him full creative control, I think he could probably do it. And I yeah. tell you what, they should not do is give it to Tom Hooper. Oh, fuck. I hope Tom Hooper's career has been ruined <laughs> in the nicest possible way. <laughs> but like, because oh. I mean, I mean, so King's Speech was fine, sure, whatever. But Les Misérables was really enjoyed that film. Yeah, but Les Misérables is just <laughs> is inherently not a well-directed film. Like, it just isn't on so many levels. And if anyone had any doubts, Cats have has surely sealed that. I can't see, yeah. after those two, anyone could possibly being like, hmm, who should we get to direct this film version of this really popular stage musical? You know what? Tom Hooper, he's had a great track record. Let's get him back. What could go wrong? <laughs> you should genuinely listen to the proper album. Okay. It's, I, I it's did quite bad. like, some of the music was really good. But I think it wasn't, it, you know, th- making me thruffle at the mouth like everyone else seems. No, but I, like as I was saying, I think th- you need to listen to it like properly mixed in a studio to get the full effect of it first. I would like to see the actual play. It is great. Musical. Do you want them to make a f- proper film? Or no? I, yeah, I mean, I, there's no reason not to. Because, you know, even if the film's terrible, the, the album and the musical still exist. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, I'd like to see how they do it. And I think, it you know, there's, there is... In the same way Les Mis had these, like, you know, these great set pieces that you couldn't do on stage expanded upon. I'll tell you what um, we didn't mention earlier that I, I, I would like to say. Like, um, okay. the king, King George III, he was yeah. an absolute standout part for me. Like, he's so fucking funny. He is great. <laughs> also, you know, like, Lin Member Member. I just can't say his fucking name. Lynn Manuel, Manuel Miranda. Miranda. It's not difficult. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, oh right, yeah. He was. He's always saying like he was so worried about offending offending British people by making yeah. King George like a fucking knobhead. It's like 
Well, he was a fucking knobhead. So. Also, like, all of British humour is about taking the piss out of ourselves. Like, we yeah. love it. It gets such an amazing reaction in London. Also, he's, he was alive, like, fucking 400 years ago. Like, why would... Or 300 years ago. Like, why would we give a shit? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the difference between, like... Because American patriotism is, like, this sort of, like, almost personal connection to history, which you don't actually have any personal connection to. Like, I mean, just yeah. the way they get so defensive over the flag, for one thing. Well, we just don't have that. We just don't really give a shit <laughs> if you slag off someone you know from 300 years ago it's like what's that gonna do like yeah it doesn't i don't care <laughs> also he was known here as the mad king exactly we didn't like him either <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's just you know whatever do you have a favorite song from hamilton did any sort of stick out to you um what stuck out to me i liked yeah. what did i miss that's, yeah, that's decent. I liked the King's song where he's like, you know, I'm going to kill your families or whatever. You'll be back. <laughs> yeah, be that's, back. that yeah. is one of the top ones, yeah. Um, and I liked the 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 shot one. My shot? <laughs> yeah, my shot. Well, it's your favourite. So I'd say, I think the two that I keep coming back to the most, like Yorktown. I don't remember that one. So, that, you know... Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But that's that because that's basically like the climax. I mean, there's non-stop, but that's like the climax of Act One to an extent. I think the first half was a lot better than the second half. Yeah, there is. I think there is certainly a school of thought for that. I mean, so yeah, the obviously the first one is like you know more about you know the battles and stuff, and then the second one is more political and personal. Yeah, I did like um, the um, how the their political debates were fucking. Rap battles. Uh, rap battles, yeah. I like yeah. that. Oh, the other song I really love, uh, I probably one of the sound moments from Mac 2 is Room Where It Happens. Oh, yes. I really like that one, actually. That's basically a villain song, and I think it's, it's so well done. I love it. I also liked um, Washington on your side. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good that one. Is. Yeah. I feel like the first half was, was like, they have, I say revolutionary as more like, you know, that, it was so unique because it introduced, you know, having rap as a, in a musical, especially a musical set 300 years ago, you know? Yeah. Whereas the second half felt a more traditionally musical, you know, it still yeah, has I... the, the rap and the fast talking bits, but it's still a lot like the songs in it, like, like what I, what did I miss? Like what she did on your side, like the room yeah. where it happened are a lot more traditionally musical songs, you know? And same with like Burn and Hurricane, which are both quite sort of like, yeah, I think there's definitely, that's it's definitely probably why I liked the first half so much more. It's like in the first half, I could see why everyone was so obsessed with it because it was like this. I've never seen anything else like this before. It's really good. It's a lot more interesting than the political side of things. Second half, so sad as well. Yeah, it did make me like cry. It, <laughs> but then yeah, it makes me it, cry, so, you know. Yeah, I certainly... I think I must have cried at some point at it. Oh, yeah. Blow Us All Away is also really good. Like, a really good song. It's sad, but it's such a good song. So many of it's good. It was there was a lot of good yeah. songs. I, I again, I think you should listen to the album because I think I think you will enjoy that more. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, welcome back to Andrew's film education. <laughs> I still think that needs a better name as well because that's also yeah. appalling. Well, Wait, aren't you calling how, it? How about as as a better name, <laughs> Androcalypse Now? <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is bad. Um, yeah, let's go with that. Okay, <laughs> so sure. So in, in this segment, we um, we introduce Andrew to classic films that he's never seen and I've not seen for a, a little while. <laughs> I think cool. I last saw... Well, when did I see Apocalypse Now last? Probably like a year or two ago. But yeah, so this, yeah, so Apocalypse Now we're doing, which is the Francis Ford Coppola Vietnam War epic from 1979. One of my favourite films. One um, of favourite films, is it really? It's one, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a 10 out of 10. It's not like, but it's knocking on the door off for me. Really? Okay. Like, I mean, well, let's get on to this one. So, um, so very, very, very quickly, for those who haven't seen it, this is about, um, 
it's an adaptation of um, Joseph Conrad's Hearts of Darkness um, about this Vietnam soldier, very jaded, seen his fair share of battles, who is sent back into the fray um, to go up this um, river into Cambodia to take out um, Colonel Kurtz, who has gone rogue and, you know, is basically gone insane and the US wants him assassinated, but very quietly under the books. And as... um, it's uh, Captain Willard, isn't it, who goes up this river. Yeah. And as he goes, it's sort of, you know, th- the the world around him gets weirder and weirder as, you know, it is sort of visual metaphor for the loss of sanity in the face of warfare. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so what did you think of Apocalypse Now then? Um, I thought it was... I can, there's, a, there's a lot of merit there. And I think there's a lot of very good bits in it. Um, but it's very dry, and I don't know. It was it was because I, I don't want to say it's boring because it's definitely not boring. But at the towards the end of it, especially like within the last forty five minutes when he's met the colonel, Colonel Kurtz. I that I mean that was I was I was drifting off to sleep, and it was like a struggle <laughs> to stay awake. And I think it's such a like that end that like final act is such like a fucking wind down from the rest of the film yeah i'd agree with that that it i it, it it sort of lost me a bit because up until that moment you are there's a, there is this fear of the unknown because you're like oh shit what is colonel kurtz gonna be like you know he's obviously this 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 monster you don't know who what he's gonna be like the deeper and deeper you get into the jungle it is you know scarier and yeah, everyone's going more mad. We've lost so many people on the way. Yeah, and then and then you fucking meet him, and he's just this fat bald bloke, and you're like, oh okay. <laughs> and then I just it like, sort of lost me there. I do so certainly when I first watched it, when I must be about thirteen, I do I do agree with you on that point. I think there's at the time I was like, we've got this like two thirds of a film about like the Vietnam War, and you know all that kind of stuff. And then at the end, it sort of becomes Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I remember finding that kind of change quite in Congress at the time. I've sort of, I've warmed to it in recent years because obviously mm. it is about <clears throat> like the breakdown of sanity and in turn, the breakdown of civilization, the further they get in to the yeah. point they've almost gone back in time. So I appreciate it on an academic level, but I do agree it definitely, the pace drops off. And I think... Because he like he goes there and he sort of gets captured and he sort of just like sits there being captured for a while. Before I don't know, I just feel there's a lot of bumming about at the end. Yeah, there's a lot of you know, but also it feels like unexplained. You know, like he he has this mission and and then you have the voiceover being like, oh, I didn't really want to do it, and it's like so he just fucking sits there doing nothing for forty minutes <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I will do it, and then he does it, and he fucking kills him, and then he just leaves and then it ends and it's like, oh. Okay then. <laughs> hmm. It's sort of I don't know, it, feel, it feels like it needed more there was almost no like tension there at all because it's like I never felt like there was inner turmoil of him deciding whether he whether or not he should kill this man. It's just like he fucking sits there doing nothing for forty minutes and then he's like, Okay, yeah, I'm gonna kill him now. As I recall, there's almost like a sense of like he doesn't decide, but more like Colonel Kurtz decides for him almost yeah like it's like oh he's not killing me because he wants me to kill him or so like i remember that being like almost his logic by the end of it it's like well yeah there is a bit where he's like everyone wanted me to do it including him colonel mm. kurtz like because he wanted to die standing up like a soldier yeah and it's like okay <laughs> i don't know it, 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 the end was its weakest part i thought I think that's yeah. That that is fair. And I think also, I don't know what you feel about this, but like, so the the opening sequence is fantastic. Like mm. that sort of you know this this cacophony of sound and sort of vision and this sort of what well, probably one of the originators of the sort of the PTSD kind of like trope. Yeah. In terms of yeah, the way yeah. those are like edited and stuff. Um, but then there's also I feel like when he's having dinner with those. Um, the CIA people. The fucking the Harrison Ford. Yeah. No Harrison Ford is in it. He just yeah. shows up and he's like in it for five seconds. <laughs> and like, again, I understand the point of this scene because it is like, you know, just, um, amongst the warfare and all the shit that's going to go down, he's like these very civilized people having a very civilized dinner and oh, would you like a prawn? And like, it's all yeah, very yeah, yeah. 
to then contrast later. But I still think that first 40 minutes after that opening is a bit on the dry. Like, it takes a while to really get into it. Once he's, once he's in the fray and he meets Kilgore, then it's fine from then yeah. on. I think that's definitely the best sequence, is that... Oh, the Rise of the Valkyries? Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. like that's infamous, isn't it? Like it is, but it's infamous for a reason. Yeah, because like it's, it's fantastic. Like that bit was very, very, very mm. good. And also, again, this is 1979. No computer. They all they bought all these helicopters. They napalm tree lines. You know, they built these yeah. cities and destroyed. And the, there's this there's this great wide shot um, from like the helicopter's point of view, and we just see like like these explosions go off amongst the bridge amongst yeah. this colossal set, and it's. Ah, oh, it, it the, the amazing, sheer like the scale, scale of that battle, yeah. yeah. But also, like it, it so perfectly encapsulates in in the smaller moments of the scene that the, the the horror of the Vietnam War, in the sense that like the American aggressors were so outclassed them in terms of technology and sort of intent. Yeah, you know, they come in with these helicopters and just like blow the shit out of everything. <laughs> and the, yeah. the, you know. This girl managed to throw a grenade into a helicopter and it takes out one helicopter out of, you know, ten or whatever. And then it's immediately just gunned down. They call her a fucking savage, direct yeah. quote. And it's like, that. that's it. That was Vietnam. That one yeah. little, like, minute of action perfectly sums up the entire kind of, like, you know, attitude it's towards conflict. it. conflict. <laughs> mm. um, also, there's, um, in the scene just before, there's a bit um, when we first see Kilgore and he sees like this um, one of the Viet Cong women who's been like injured. Or is it a man? It's, it's a man. One of the, yeah. yeah, he's been injured and he's like, oh, give him some water. And he's like doing this whole thing about, like, oh, we've got to give him water. And then he gets distracted and just forgets. And the yeah. guy's just like trying to grab this water and he just, he's just already forgotten <laughs> in a split second. And like, again, yeah. a great introduction to his character. It is amazing. Like, and I feel so much of that film is just allegorical, isn't it? Hmm. Or probably, you know, everything is. Yeah. Um, and it is good, but I, don't, I can't say that I love it. Or, you know, it's uh, maybe I will warm to it. I think it does take repeated viewing, certainly. There's also a thing about... Because I, I don't know if you know the history of this film technically, but like it was basically the first film to have surround sound in the way that we'd know it today. Okay. And the idea was they were going to build this custom cinema in America specifically to play this film, and then it would just play there forever. And if you wanted to see Apocalypse Now, you'd have to go to this cinema from wherever and see it there. Yeah. I mean, of course, that fell apart because it was in the middle of the 70s, by which point, you know, multiplexes were becoming a thing and the whole landscape changed. Yeah. But, like, so, yeah, so this um, this film basically got invented surround sound to some extent. And, like, you can, t- you know... I- I've had better experience watching this film on, like, the big downstairs TV with the lights off and the surround sound cranked up. <laughs> And I yeah. think, sort of like we were saying with Hamilton, I think without the right sound system, there is a sort of an element of that scale and sort of atmosphere does get lost a bit. Yeah. So yeah, the other thing is that, and I don't know what you think about this, but um, in terms of character, it's it was very hard to be emotionally connected to any of them. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. To the point where, where when fucking Lawrence Fishburne dies when the guy with the moustache gets his head fucking chopped off. It's like, oh, okay then. <laughs> yeah, I certainly, you know, compared to Alien, for example, in the same yeah. way as like a core group of people who eventually get picked off, you know, I don't, I don't think any of them... Well, they're not not characterised. I don't think they have anywhere near the right extent to like fully know them as characters and, you know, yeah. really care for them. In the same way, something like Alien does, like they are, they they are almost just like you know the the soldier fodder. Yeah, but you, you know, like they they tr- they make a big deal. So Lawrence Fishburne's in this film, and he's like twelve years old. He's like <laughs> fresh out of preschool. You know, he's still got acne. It's like it was incredibly hard. It took me a while to recognize that it was him. Yeah, it's like oh my god. But, but, you know, he's got the tape from his mum and it's playing in the background when he dies. And because, you know, he gets shot and he's like dying, bleeding out and, and the tape is playing in the background. Yeah. And the tape's like, oh, yeah, make sure you stay out of trouble and avoid the bullets and be home soon. And you can see he's just fucking dead. And it's like, yeah, that should have been a lot more powerful than it was. But it, it, it just wasn't as, you know, it just wasn't that powerful. Like it didn't. I was like, okay, 
you know, he's dead and that's a bit sad, but it should have been devastating and it just wasn't. <laughs> See, I half disagree. Because I'd say it's it's it has the intended effect, but not from a character perspective, but just from the, you know... It shows you the horrors of war and it's like... Yeah, it's partially knowing that this was like, that, that happened, you know, people were getting these, like, t- you know, these, like, teenagers getting taped from their mother and then being shot. Like, it... So there's a sense of realism to it and there's also... Like, even when you don't know who the character is as such, that kind of thing is still sad just because of the nature yeah. of it. But I didn't feel for his character as a character. I just felt, like, generically sad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I can agree with that. But also, the other thing is how quickly the other characters just shrug it off. You know, one of the characters cries about it, and then it just cuts to black, and then fades back in, and he's completely fine again, and they've completely forgotten that that guy's died. And also, so the main character, like Martin Sheen, just basically never shows any emotion throughout. And yeah. it's like, okay, how are we supposed to identify with these people when when their best friends die and they don't give a fuck, you know? It's the problem with having a jaded protagonist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But it's sort of like, even if he was showing that brave face to his men and then, you know, you saw him shed a tear inside, but you don't. He just never mentions him again, doesn't give a fuck. And it's sort of like, well, if our main protagonist doesn't care, why should we? Yeah. I did feel like that a lot throughout. And I mean, I don't know, because, you know, his entire crew just dies and he he just doesn't bat an eyelid. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I suppose there's an element of like, it's, you know, they're almost tools to him. They're just people getting him to where he needs to go. Like he, he... that you can see earlier on, he doesn't try to get involved with them. He sort of very much keeps to himself. Yeah, and like I suppose it'd be out of character for him to really like, like. So I think I think the connection isn't. You know, I know this is counterintuitive, but like even though he's a protagonist, we don't care about them because he does. We just care about them, except for you know, despite him, almost. Because it's yeah. so like okay. so. So if you think about like, so obviously Willard's been in the wars and he he knows all this. He's jaded. He's used to innocent men and young people dying so it doesn't matter to him whereas audience members we don't know and also if you think this was like one of the first besides the deer hunter this was like the first really big vietnam war film which yeah. so this was still you know these kind of emotions while nowadays are almost cliche this was shocking certainly at the time so like as audiences despite willard being jaded we're fresh to this we're fresh to this horror and the trauma and we're like jesus this is happening. These innocent people yeah. being killed. So I guess that's more the angle, which I know is yeah, like isn't great screenwriting just, necessarily, but yeah, I, I guess it's just a hard, a hard sell, isn't it? Yeah, I do um, think. Well, I mean, I haven't watched The Godfather for a long time, but I remember one of my problems with it also was I, I didn't find there was much sort of emotion in like Al Pacino's character in that. So maybe that's a Francis Ford Coppola directing thing. Like maybe yeah, it could be. But it's not like emotionless can work, you know, but I don't know, just in this case, like, it was very hard to to feel attached to any of them. Yeah. You, know, you can have emotionless characters and still be like, you know, oh, I really like them. You can have jaded characters and be like, oh, I still really like them. Like, think about, um, like, Logan in Logan. <laughs> He's, yeah, he's he's very jaded, isn't he? And he's like, well, you know, fuck this. Uh, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. But you still very much attach to him, and you still very very much care about him. Hmm. And I think, even though he's jaded and, and doesn't want to care, it's like you still feel for him and you still cry with him. And you know, whereas in in this, it's like he doesn't care. It's hard to make ourselves care. And even when he then goes, he accepts the mantle of Jungle King or whatever the fuck he was. It's like, okay, what next? Oh, he's just going to leave. Oh, and the film's ended. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely not a char- a strong character film as such. It's definitely more about, like I was saying, like about the allegory and about... Yeah, you it's know, definitely ar- allegorical. Like, yeah, I mean, the and the original novel was very much... You know, all just a metaphor. I think, yeah, I think that this story does is more about. I mean, for one thing, it's it's way more internal than it is external, character-wise. So yeah. It's not about relationships; it's about inner turmoil and sort of dissent. You know, yeah. amidst, amidst the backdrop. So I think I think that's a genuine weakness with the story. 
I did feel like it was missing a scene off the end. It just felt like it just ended, and I was like expecting some sort of bit about him getting back to to civilization. Well, I, I mean, would he go back to civilization though? I well, yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's the, the. But you know, I wanted to see some sort of some resolution. Some resolution, yeah, because it, it felt like it just ends and that's it. You know, there is no reward like this whole thing is is meeting this man like achieving this mission and there's no sort of like resolution there he just he he kills the dude and then that's it there's no consequences there's no sort of payoff he just kills him and then he fucking leaves and then it's cut to black done <laughs> yeah which i mean i mean there's the argument of like his entire mission was to kill Kurtz. He's killed Kurtz, and that's the end of the story. What happens next? You know, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I don't know. I just wanted a bit more from it. I guess <laughs> there may have been a sub. Oh, so there's the. We'll talk quickly about the Redux version. Um, okay. I can't remember specifically. There's something at the end on that, but like, so this. So the Redux version has an extra. I think it's fifty minutes worth of scenes added. Um, right. Most of them are minor things. So, like, for example, we know there's the Playboy um, helicopter comes down. There's that whole scene. Yeah, yeah, And then later on in Redux, they find the helicopters crash somewhere and they find the Playboy bunnies, like, stranded. Right. And then one of them has sex with them and then they move on. Okay. So, it's, <laughs> so as an example, so there's, like, lots of little scenes like that which sort of don't really add anything as such. But, you know, I guess they filmed them there and there. Um, the, main, the main one for me, which... Oh, and the main reason I said to watch theatrical rather than Redux, because basically I think all of these the scenes are added, which are then bloated like a two hundred minute running time, just slow it down even further. Yeah, like it was so very slow. I felt. Yeah, because really? you have like highs of of these really uh, intense, like amazing war scenes, and then and then it's like peaks and troughs, but there feels like there's a lot more troughs than there are peaks. You yeah, know? <laughs> which is why they've hazed Redux because there's like. I can't remember specifically when this is, but I think it's quite near the end. Like, I think it's when they're nearly at Kurtz's compound. They come across this, like, um, plantation owned by these, like, these posh people. Who I think of, like, English as well. And they, they get off the boat and they go and have tea with them and have a lovely little merry old time in the plantation. And again, one of them has sex as well, I think, for some reason. I don't know why that's a theme of the Redux version. But this scene lasts... I think it must be at least 40 minutes of the extra 50 added. It takes so long. And at the end of the film, when we already, like, descent, you know, fully into, like, insanity, and then, I don't know if that's the point, like, there's this island of, like, you know, sanity within the, the mess, which in itself is more insane, like, in a sort of Alice in Wonderland kind of way. But it, yeah. it slams the pacing to an absolute halt for, like, 30, 40 minutes. And then sort of just continues. It's like, what is that there for? So that's the main reason I told you not to watch Redux, because that's... Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It's not um, It's not a terrible yeah. watch, but I do think theatrical is just so much more superior. It, it does, like, you know... The, the extra stuff isn't necessary, I think. Okay. Um, it's good. I think... I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll see if it grows on me at all. Um, yeah. So would you consider it a classic? Do you think it's like worthy of well, being a classic? It, I mean, it is a classic, isn't it? Because it's it's got so much in it. Um, that is parodied over and over again by, like, everything else. Mainly The Simpsons is all I can think of right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's... it's That helicopter scene is infamous. The bit of him popping his head out out the water is, for, you know, mm. very famous. There's so much of it that is just iconic, and I think it definitely deserves to be a classic. And it... it yeah, I think it it definitely has its problems that I've I've raised. Yeah, um, hopefully I I will grow to it, it, like it a bit more because it's yeah. it's just it's so dry and it was so s slow um, mm. that it was almost off putting. You know, <laughs> I mean, you also have to be in the right mood for it as well because mm. like when I rewatched it couple of weeks ago for this i definitely wasn't in the right mood and i can i can definitely see the problems of it being slow and being sort of underwhelming when you're not in that very specific mood it's similar to blade runner in a way blade runner also doesn't work if you're not in the right mood for it so i think yeah. it's one of those films but like blade runner i think the sort of 
the audio visual sort of um, pizzazz of it. Like it's such a it's such a great film in terms of the AV spectacle. Yeah, that, and that's what it's there for. And I think that's sort of its big virtue. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm interested to watch Hearts of Darkness as well. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, we could do that on Quest for Truth, even. We can indeed. I mean, technically, I've already seen it, but I'll, we'll rewatch it anyway. But yeah, yeah. Which um, so for those who don't know, Hearts of Darkness is the um, the documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now, which was infamously one of the most cursed productions of probably any film. Like, I think it was it took four years to make that film. Like they started in '76 and finished in '79 or something crazy right. and like e- everything that could go wrong in a film set went wrong in apocalypse now and the documentary yeah. documents all the documentary is so. as famous as the film itself yeah it? like the documentary is supposed to be one of the like the best document like making of documentaries ever made yeah um so yeah we'll we'll give our watch and do it on quest for truth at some point i think yeah yeah okay so next time on andrew's film education yes do you want to do casablanca Oh God! <laughs> so, sorry. Um, isn't that like a million years long? No, it's like in a hundred minutes. Oh, what's the four-hour-long one? Gone with the wind. Oh, okay. All right, yeah, Casablanca. We'll, we'll do Casablanca, yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do Casablanca next time. Um, and if you at home have any reviews of Casablanca or any of suggestions for Andrew's film education, you can email us at cinerambles at gmail dot com. Wait, which one's Casablanca? Um. Here's looking at you, kid. Okay. <laughs> it's um, it's set. It's so it's in, it's in Casablanca in Africa during right. World War Two, and it's like Humphrey Bogart's at a bar, and then some woman he knows comes in, and there's like a romance, but not quite. I'll be honest; it's been a very long time since I saw it. So a romance, but not quite. Okay, got it. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I think the key point is like it's like the love of his life, but he has to let her go in order to save her from the Nazis or something. Right. I honestly can't remember because I think I was 13 when I watched it and I wasn't paying attention properly. <laughs> so. Okay. So, Nick, I have been... Well, I don't know if you saw, but Unsolved Mysteries is back. Yeah, I did notice, actually. The, mo- the moment we spoke about it... It, it appeared on Netflix. <laughs> it's a... Well, it's obviously not a remake. It's a re- reboot. Yeah. Um, a revival. Revival, yeah, that's the word. It's very different. So I've only watched one episode of the new one. And it's good. It is good. But. But. There is a but. There's still a but. So the new one is just one mystery per episode. And there is, I think, six episodes or maybe eight. And the mysteries in there, or at least the one we watched, was really interesting. And it was very, you know, it was an unsolved mystery. And it was very fascinating. They just lay the facts out for you. They've got interviews with all of the people, you know, involved. It's just like talking heads. And then they put in, um, like, recreations. They do this thing. Like, so in the first episode, this guy goes missing. And then, like, a week later or a few weeks later, they find his body. And it it appears as if he's jumped from a hotel um, into, like, this other building. And there's, like, this tiny hole in the roof. Right. And they've, they've put these fucking graphics in. Where it shows you like this wide shot, obviously like taken from a helicopter of the hotel, and then it's like circled the hole, and then has a little bit coming off saying hole. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> thanks Netflix, I didn't realise that that gaping hole was a hole. <laughs> For the slower members of the audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so I've, I've realised like the inherent problem with unsolved mysteries is that they are unsolved and thus very very unsatisfying <laughs> yeah there's no conclusion presumably it's all just like yeah well because it's like how did how the fuck did this guy die who killed him why why did he have to die because he was like perfectly happy he was very you know he was financially stable he loved his wife and then just one day he was missing and then six days later he showed up dead and no one knows why or how he died basically and it's like, it's just sort of ends and it's, the wife is like, oh, I'm really sad. You know, I really miss him. His brother's like, yeah, um, things will never be the same. I'm still looking for answers. And it just sort of ends. It's like, oh, if you have any information, go to unsolvedmysteries.com or whatever. And it's like, well, shit, I really wanted to know how he died. 
Well, then surely it wasn't the original show like that as well. Well, yeah, it was. But in the original show, I, I, I don't know. But they also had a lot of the... We only tended to watch the revisited ones. So you do have the satisfying conclusion on the end. Right. And I'm, I'm hoping that in a few years' time, if any of these do get solved, which is obviously the massive positive of Unsolved Mysteries, yeah, um, that they'll do a revisited and we can then go and see that these things have been solved. I'm also, well, as far as I can tell, there's only one fucking bullshit UFO episode. And I'm really hoping that is the only bullshit episode because for old time's sake yeah because it's just fucking dog shit because i just why give them the time of day (laughs) you know it's like oh there's a spooky ufo that comes to me every night okay that will set up some cameras it's oh the ufo hasn't showed up tonight it it must be the weather (laughs) okay we'll come back tomorrow okay cool (laughs) Even the most advanced civilizations when they build UFOs, like, what's that cloudy weather? Nah, I can't do it. <laughs> can't, can't show Turbulence. Up, <laughs> so, from what I remember of you telling me about the old series, is they'd they'd have the mystery, but they'd go and investigate it sort of themselves, the presenters. Is that... Well, so, it's not really they, them investigating it, it's more of them, like, collating all of the evidence and... Oh, okay. You know, they didn't then go and look into it themselves. But, you oh, know, they, right. they pulled together all of the, the the strings to make it one cohesive sort of case, you know? Because I was going to say, if if the whole point of it was about investigation, wouldn't not having that be a key problem with the new one? But I suppose that could be a way to improve it, to have, like... Because that's what I thought it would be, like, a pre- you know, a presenter's like, well, this is a mystery, and this is what we know so far. I'm going to go and investigate and see what I can find. Yeah. Because that's, be- that's more of a show, that's more of a content than just, like, basically a, a dramatised Wikipedia yeah. read, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, it does sort of feel like that. But, they, I mean, they do present it in an interesting way. Mm. Um, and they, like, you know, present to you the multiple theories of what they think could have happened. Um, and then they've got, you know, an interview with the... Because the case we watched was, like, was so completely baffling and there was, like, no evidence at all, like, that... I think it was two different detectives and then two different investigative journalists all had a look at it and all like interviewed loads of different people. And it's like, like, but also they never got in contact with each other. And this show sort of brought all those different investigations together and represented it, you know, as a a complete sort of case, which is quite cool. But it, you know, I feel like that, that case is uh, just never going to be solved because well, like, so the, the the police, the main, the lead detective who was in charge of the case officially said that he tried to contact this company who the bloke who died had been working for. And they, that company did a cease and desist on all of their employees and lawyered up and refused to speak to them. That's not suspicious at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, could you... Make yourself look any more guilty. <laughs> you may just fucking stamp "we did it" on our forehead and move yeah. on. <laughs> I mean, that's all the evidence you need, really. Yeah, it's like why? Why would you not talk to? But also, the entire company was like, not a single employee was allowed to talk to the police about it. You know, you'd think maybe like the the top top dogs weren't allowed to talk about it, but these random chumps that probably know nothing about it were could We're talk about still- it. Couldn't they, like, specifically have, be like, okay, you can talk to this one guy who's relatively high up, then brief and be like, right, you only tell them this, this, and this. You know, leave, leave out the crime bit. Yeah, like, <laughs> like they didn't even release a statement. Yeah, you know, they just... That would be less suspicious. At least try and be like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. We, there's nothing here. Yeah. Nothing but good old family fun behind these doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's interesting, and you know, I think it's worth... It's very, very Netflix documentary now. Because if you watch any Netflix documentaries, there's always the same sort of, you know... Style. Style, yeah. There's a very... It's very stylized, and they're always the same. Like, have you watched any other, like, crime documentaries made by Netflix? So I watched Amanda Knox over the weekend, which I'm pretty sure is a Netflix original. Um, I mean, but you haven't seen that, have you? I have not, no. No. Um, 
But I mean, that's probably like the main other one I've seen at the moment. Um, okay, I I recommend um, the Ted Bundy tapes. Yeah, that is on my list. That's really really good, and that's very interesting. There's also the Confession Killer again. It's exactly you know not exactly this because obviously it's a different case, but it's the same style. You know, like just through and through. Yeah, but all of those types of. I think I haven't seen Making a Murderer. Well, I've seen a bit of Making a Murderer, but the bit of Making a Murderer I've seen was that exact same style, you know? Yeah, I've seen... I think I saw the first two episodes at uni and never got around to watching the rest. It does make me think, like, is it the same person making all of these documentaries or is it just Netflix being like, you have to cut it and make it to this exact brief, you know? Well, it's possible since these are all like Netflix original product, like made in house. They might have the same editor, for example, the same producers yeah. being like, we want it like that rather than like but a then, specific guideline. I mean, Tiger like. King was sort of similar, but then it's, it's, it's a lot. It's still definitely different. Was Tiger these... King, I know it was an original, of course, was it made in house by Netflix or was it made by independence and bought for distribution by Netflix? I am not sure because I know that the, Tiger King's definitely got a uh, specific documentarian attached to it. Well, that's what I was thinking, yeah. all of these other ones, you know, his name's attached to it, whereas all of these other ones are just Netflix made. They're not a documentary by, you know, Bob and Tim. They are... Yeah, they are by Netflix. By Netflix, yeah. But yeah, it's... it's, um, You should give Unsolved Mysteries a watch. It might be worth watching a new one and then going back and watching an old one and seeing how different they are. (laughs) Because okay. I reckon the old ones are just cringe city. <laughs> Is there any way you can watch the, the old ones about just I buying a have... flat in Portsmouth? <laughs> uh, <laughs> apparently they are aired on CBS every single night. So oh. if I, think CBS, I might actually have CBS on my, on my TV. CBS reality every yeah. night. Jesus Christ, like literally every single night. <laughs> I didn't realise, like, so until recently I was going through my TV channels trying to work out I think I was trying to find one of the film channels to record something. And there's like, I get PBS and NBC and stuff. I'm like, since when did I get those? What? <laughs> Why have we got them in England? <laughs> They're on like weird. channel 300 or something. We seem to have them. It's really, I was blown away by that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I would be interested to compare the two to see how well, because they're, they're so dated, the old one. And um, the new one is, is very modern. In the way it's told, you know. Because if there was a mystery they covered on the old series, and that's still an unsolved mystery in the new one. What they come back to, yeah. Yeah, and it'd be like, well, we looked at this in the 80s, and we're still back, and, you know, this is what we've made since, but we're still, it's still unsolved. Well, so I think well, a direct the thing, problem with that is, this, like, what's the point of them retreading that when there's, because uh, uh, when did it stop being made? In, like, the mid-90s? I Well, I think it went on until 2010, didn't it? I think that's... The date. Oh yes, but it didn't have uh, Robert Stack. No, I, but yeah, I, I think it went on. Yeah, it went on for a little bit. Whereas this was the well, as far as I can tell, like all of these are made. Yeah, two thousand ten. You're right. Yeah. Okay, maybe not then. Because um, well, what I was, was going to say was like you know them. I was going to say there must be like twenty years of of new unsolved mysteries for them to to unsolve. Uh, only only <laughs> <Wait>. ten years. <laughs> It's only ten years. Well, this one, the, the from the first episode was in two thousand six, and it's so weird. Like, she's like, "Oh yeah, this is his cell phone," and it's like a fucking Nokia brick, you know? <laughs> wow, that is decent. <laughs> and it's like I haven't seen the phone like that for so long. It's like it's weird that phones used to look like that. Yeah, how quickly they became these massive touchscreen pads, you know? I remember having my mum's old like little Nokia thing when I was. 10, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, so long ago. So long. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Yeah. I think we'll leave it there for this week's episode. Uh, you've been listening to Cine Rambles with Nick. And Andrew. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash official. And follow us on Twitter at CineRambles. If you want to find more content, you can read the blog over at cinerambles.blogspot.com. And email us with all your stuff and your things and reviews and all that and, and email us. And it's not just Penny that can email, by the way. It's not <laughs> no. Penny's only. No, it's, it's for anyone. everyone. It's for everyone. We swear. 
you know, uh, uh, Nick, Penny wants her money, by the way. She wants another 10 quid. Is that all right? Um, <clears throat> we'll discuss this later. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Okay, I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, email us. Um, please, please, for the love of Christ. Nick's lifeline is almost run out. But at what address? <laughs> oh, it's it's cityrambles at gmail.com. You always start doing your email bit, then get distracted with your joke and don't actually say the address. <laughs> I never say the email. It's because you say it about 50 times a fucking... Uh... Hey, I've only said it once this episode. <laughs> well, good job. Well done, Nick. I'm so proud. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, see you next week. Goodbye. Good day. Say goodbye. I should try and say goodbye normally, you know, like a regular human being. But, oh well, goodbye. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>